Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number three of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent of that. Joining me today, again, is Gordon Graham, also known as that white paper guy and author of the newly published book, White Papers for Dummies. And we're doing part two of our two-part series on the topic of writing white papers. If you haven't checked out part one of this interview, check it out when you get a chance, because Gordon and I get into a lot of detail in that conversation about the business of writing white papers, what they are, who's publishing them, the opportunity for writers, how much you can charge, and much more. And you can catch that first part of the interview at www.b2blauncher.com forward slash episode two, the number two. In this final part of our interview, we get into actual white paper writing. And specifically, we're going to talk about the three flavors of white papers and how to determine which one is right for which situation. We're going to get into a detailed discussion about each white paper type, including length, tone, style, and how to effectively approach each of them. We're going to discuss potential pitfalls and landmines to watch out for, how to keep white paper projects on track and within scope, how to deal with difficult clients and edit happy reviewers, and even what a Google executive told Gordon about white paper writers that they've worked with in the past. Some very interesting information there. So we're going to get right to it. I hope you enjoy this interview. All right, everyone. So I'm back here with Gordon Graham, author of White Paper for Dummies. And uh, we're doing part two today of our initial discussion. If you haven't uh, caught that yet, I, I recommend you do. We go through quite a bit about white papers. We talk about white papers, the, the, uh, what they are, uh, who uses them, the opportunity for white paper writers, lots of great tips and information there. So make sure to, to grab that. And Gordon, it's great to have you back. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Great to be here. So, all right. So today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of white papers. And we're going to talk about the different kinds of white papers that you might run into as a white paper writer. Um, and then we're going to talk about the process of, of planning and producing uh, a, a white paper. But let, let's start with the types of white papers. This is something that I had a really hard time with when I was getting started because nobody had really defined this very well. And I love how you've broken this down into basically three different types. So why don't you maybe give us a, um, a basic overview of each and then we can start getting into a little bit of detail for each one. Great, great. I love talking about this because um, th this idea really came to me uh, when I was going through and making a list of all the white papers I'd written because, you know, I was thinking, gee, you know, so I, I, my samples are all over the place. I, I should put them all together. So I got up to, I think I was, uh, I think I cleared 100. I cleared 100. I was, I was amazed that, wow, I've done 100 of these. Now I've done, I'm getting, closing in on 200. But the, I started, uh, you know, as I went through each one, uh, I thought about it a little bit and you know at that point people were saying everybody was saying myself included this is probably three four years ago um, everybody was saying well you know there's eight types of white papers there's ten types of white papers there's actually 14 types of white papers everybody had these long long lists and 
the problem is that it was really, they were really subtle little distinctions and it was really hard to remember, you know, and if you're talking to a, a prospect on the phone and they say, well, what, what type of white paper should I do? And you're, and you're trying to go through your list of 14 different, that's really hard, you know? So I, I, I started to think maybe there's some way to simplify this. And as I thought, they kind of just sorted themselves into these three big buckets, you know? And, and then I thought as a way to just help me remember, I'll, I'll just call them different ice cream flavors and that seems to that seems to really resonate with people people um when i give a workshop about that people always come up and say oh that was so great i love that about the ice cream i i can remember that you know mm -hmm. so um i started off with the most traditional um old-fashioned kind of white paper that i call a backgrounder and this at one point this is what every white paper was it was basically a description, a factual description of a product or a service, you know, and I and I call that vanilla because it's completely predictable. There's no surprises. It's quite uh, product centric and vendor centric. Um, there's no proof points usually. It, it they don't take much external research or much web research. These are the kind of things that could almost be written by a technical writer um, because they're very very factual and they talk about uh, they talk about the uh, uh, features and uh, the best ones also uh, translate each feature into a benefit um, for the uh, for the buyer. So that's the most basic type of white paper, a backgrounder, and I think of that as a plain vanilla. Um, these are useful uh, at the lower end of the sales funnel when a company uh, representative has to do a technical evaluation or a cost-benefit analysis of the remaining companies on the uh, shortlist of vendors. So they'll probably get down to the point where they've got two or three companies they're comparing. They need to compare them head-to-head. -head. And this is when a, a backgrounder is really good. And they could be, it could be considered a technical backgrounder or a business backgrounder, but it talks about the, uh, the technical features and benefits or the cost uh, benefits of um, using a certain uh, product or, or uh, service. And this is really, one, one quick point, Gordon, is this is really interesting that you say uh, that this is used at the kind of at the bottom of the funnel when somebody's already shortlisted a few vendors. Because what I, what I found is, myself included, when I was getting started on a lot of new white paper writers, this is the kind it tend to flock to. Uh, mm -hmm. at the top of the mm -hmm. funnel, you know, when they're trying to generate mm -hmm. leads and that's that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. You got to be careful not to use this approach when you're trying to generate leads. Yeah, it's um you know, it's it's funny the biggest companies, I think maybe this is where people get this idea, the biggest companies generally put out nothing except backgrounders because uh if you're already the undisputed leader in the field, you're going to be on the short list of vendors. So you don't have to work to generate leads. Everybody's always thinking about you. Oh, we'll see what HP is doing, we'll see what IBM's doing, we'll see what uh Microsoft is doing or what they have to say, we'll see what Oracle says about this. You're already on the short list, so you don't have to fight your way on. Um, so bigger companies tend to do just about nothing but backgrounders. If you look at a, a white papers from HP, they're all about their products. Always they're all about their products. And, and, and that's fine because their products are going to be in the running. Um, they're also, this type of white paper is really, really useful to support a technical evaluation. Another time that it's really handy is if you're, if you're launching a new product. So this is the type of white paper that you'll probably be called on to write if somebody says, we got this new product coming out, we need a white paper for it. Well, you know, you're going to have to give uh, something out to um, 
people that are immediately interested in this, uh, also uh, journalists, also uh, analysts, also your business partner, your own sales force. Everybody needs to hear what this product is all about. So uh, a backgrounder is good at that point, just fine, you know. Um, but but you're you're very astute to say if you try to generate leads with a backgrounder, it's not going to work that well. And I can tell you exactly why, because people don't Google products. You know, we're up to the point where something like 90, the last survey I saw, it was 96%, I think, of all business purchases start with a web search. You know, in the old days, people used to go to a go to a salesperson and say, well, what have you got to help me with this? No way. The sales guy is gone now. It's uh, he's out of that process. People go to Google and they and they uh, search for things that can help them. So, well, what do they search for? They're not going to search for, you know, HP, da, 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 model 472. Da, da, da. They never even heard of that model yet. What they're going to search for is uh, I need a large uh, format, color, uh, inexpensive, uh, you know, printer that can handle, uh, you know, 11 by 17 inch pages they'll, they'll they'll google the thing that they're looking for the problem they're trying to solve they may even google you know print um print large uh, blueprints or print large maps you know they'll 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 google the, the problem they're struggling with and uh that's when you need a different type of white paper to show up in those search results because even if your if your backgrounder shows up, it's too early to start talking about the features and the benefits and then and the feeds and speeds of that product. It's too early. It's not going to really pull people into your funnel that well. So um, that's when I uh, realized there's an, another type of white paper which is much more modern, which is uh, much more effective for generating leads, and that's what I call the problem solution. And I think of this one as chocolate ice cream because it's really the uh, the richest and the most satisfying and the long last, the longest lasting. Um, they're also the hardest to write. They take the most research. They require the most proof points, and but they're the ones that you can uh, command the highest fees for. And and a product um, solution has a, a definite uh, flow of the content. Um, and I can give you a, an overview of that right now. It starts with the, a business problem, a serious business problem that a lot of people are struggling with, and it gives some uh, shape and size and scope to the problem. So it may have, you know. Um, some analysts saying yes, uh, companies in the uh, in the United States are are wasting sixty billion dollars a year on this, uh, not being able to find uh, information they need. In fact, most executives uh, spend uh, twelve hours a week uh, searching for lost emails and lost uh, lost reports, something like that. So the uh, the problem might be information overload or lack of management of of uh, documents or just a plain poor. Uh, poor filing skills or, uh, you know, probably you could lump something like that under information overload. So what are people going to Google? They're going to Google, can't find my emails, can't find my reports, information overload, uh, too much information. They'll Google something like that. And uh, they're, they're looking to do those things that I say a, a proper white paper does. Understand an issue, solve a problem and make a decision about what to do about the problem. And if your white paper can answer those things, you'll have a good shot at developing a lead. So what does a problem solution uh, white paper include? Well, it includes uh, this definition of the problem that I've already talked about. And then, and this is actually my favorite part to write, you don't jump into the solution. You don't just go problem solution. You go, hmm, how have people tried to solve that in the past? This is so powerful. How have people tried? How have other people tried to solve? How have other companies tried to solve that? And this is when you get to line up all of your competitors and take a, your best shot at them. And so this is really, really fun, you know. Um, 
And uh, if, if we keep going with that information overload thing, I'm thinking about a white paper I wrote that was for a document management system for these uh, um, multi, multi-billion dollar huge engineering projects. And these projects get, they get 100,000 engineering drawings and uh, change orders and specifications and reports and uh, um, surveys and stuff. Uh, they'll have they'll have a hundred thousand documents to organize. If they start bumbling and losing those things, I mean, they could build the thing wrong. They could they could get sued up the yin yang later because they uh, they uh, built it wrong or didn't use the right materials or didn't put in the changes from the uh, from the uh, engineers or the architects. So they really got a. Uh, there's a good business reason to keep that stuff uh, uh, keep track of that stuff. So I looked at what what are the traditional ways people use to organize information and exchange information between offices when there's a, a big project with a whole bunch of offices. So we looked at, you know, email and attachments to emails. Uh, we looked at, at faxes. We looked at sending drawings around by courier um, and uh, putting things onto flash drives. All of these things had um, defined drawbacks that we could uh, that we could knock down. So basically in about half a page, I went through each of the, of the um, existing traditional ways of organizing documents and said the problem Problem is you can lose the file. The problem is people are overloaded and they don't want, they don't like searching through their email. And it's not very earnest. The the problem is uh, if you courier overdrawing, uh, you know, there's uh, the drawing could get uh, lost or damaged, or uh, there's still only one master copy and you don't you don't see the changes on it. You know, it's there. There's there's drawbacks to what anybody else, what any other vendor has tried to do um, to solve a problem. And so that's when you you shoot down all of them. Mm-hmm. Then then you introduce. And and you do that in terms not by naming vendors or naming products, but you you class them into buckets. You class them into uh, um, genres, categories, uh, approaches, classes, some kind of some kind of uh, groups of solutions. So you're not talking about what uh, what IBM does or what Microsoft does. You're talking about you know this approach and that approach as a as a technology or a methodology. And then you introduce. Um, the next section is you introduce the new improved methodology, but it, you don't mention your company name. You say, you know what, there's a better way to do this, and it, it, it would involve an online uh, collaborative uh, system where everybody could share, where there's no uh, master copy of a document that could get lost, where, uh, where uh, there's no delay in accessing things. People see th- all the changes immediately. But you don't say from, uh, from Acme uh, online collaboration systems. You say here is a here is a new improved solution, and this is where you're providing some education. You're you're look you're 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 defining a market space and saying here's all these other vendors, and then here's or here's all these other ideas, and then here's a new improved idea, and it's over here, and it's got all these benefits. Uh, it does this better? Does that faster? It's, it's faster, cheaper, whatever. Um, and only then at that point do you turn around uh, towards the end and say, uh, and you know what? Um, Acme online, uh, you know, collaboration systems actually has a working uh, system like this, and it's uh, been installed in the field at 10,000 different companies and blah, 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 to find out more about how this can help you uh, organize your documents for a massive engineering system, you know, you put in your call to action. So a problem solution um, is really powerful because it actually does provide a lot of informational, educational content. And that's why I call it the chocolate flavor. And, and 
this is modern and uh, really uh, very challenging, but very, very powerful, right? Because as long as people have that problem, as long as anybody in business has that problem, this white paper can continue to generate leads. So these can can are routinely, uh, a problem solution white paper is routinely on the web of the uh, vendor for one to two years, routinely. You know, it's not something you're doing just to, just to uh, put out in your blog uh, uh, here today and gone tomorrow. That's why the uh, um, the fees are are uh, are nice and satisfying for uh, writing a problem solution. And now somewhere in the middle is uh, what I call a numbered list. So a numbered list maybe has a slightly different uh, quality to the others. It's more a description of an approach than the content. But uh, a numbered list I consider uh, um, kind of uh, light and lively and easy to digest, like strawberry ice cream. So a numbered list is like five things you must know before you buy an online document management system. Um, four hidden gotchas of uh, online document management systems. You, it just starts with a number, and then it's some kind of uh, um, roundup of points or questions or highlights or issues or concerns about some issue. Mm -hmm. And this, this again, will interest um, anybody who is who is uh, researching that issue. And in fact, it's probably the most attractive format to uh, have because, um, I mean, I've had executives say to me, you know, I just love reading numbered lists because I know there's seven things and uh, I get to number three and I know there's only four left. And then, oh yeah, number five, I already know that. I'm just going to skip past that. Number six, hmm, there's something good. And I know I'm almost done because I'm uh, there's only seven. The, the neat thing about a numbered list is the structure. It's like an insect, you know, with its skeleton on the outside, a, uh, um, a number list, the structure is, uh, is, uh, completely evident. You don't have to work. You know, there's, there's, there's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine items and that's it. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're really, really popular. They're the, um, um, the easiest for people to, uh, to read and to scan. They're, uh, probably faster and easier to, uh, research and write than, a than a problem solution. And you can, and you can really be a little more outrageous, you know, um, a numbered list is very, very good, uh, for just making noise and for getting attention with a kind of provocative view, you know, or for, it's really good for attacking, uh, competitors for casting, uh, the uh, notorious FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt on your competitors, because you can say like the four hidden gotchas or six things you must know before you sign to buy, uh, you know, or seven uh, problems you probably haven't thought about, or, you know, um, it's, a, it's a great way to cast uh, uh, uncertainty on competitors. And it's, uh, they're also really good for nurturing prospects once they're into your sales funnel, because just about anybody can, can scan through a, uh, um, a numbered list and they will, they will download and look at a numbered list more often than they will a problem solution that sounds like a lot of work or a backgrounder that sounds like too much detail, you know? So these tend to be shorter and they have somewhere between three and nine numbered points and, um, you know, you get in and you get out and they're, pretty fun. And so there's our three. It's a backgrounder all about the product, problem solution all about the problem, and a numbered list uh, somewhere in the middle. And then in fact, you can uh, mash up a numbered list with either of the others. So you can have a numbered list combined with a backgrounder. So it could be uh, four key features of the Acme uh, Scanomatic 3500 or uh, seven things that only uh, Acme does with da-da-da-da-da. That's a... Um, mashup of a numbered list and a background. And what that gives you is the um, the kind of 
light and lively structure of a numbered list with the uh, the detailed look at the uh, features of the product, you can go the other way and and mash up a numbered list with a problem solution. So then it could be um, seven things every manager should know about uh, information management or uh, uh, seven ways to safeguard your information about your uh, um, nuclear power plant uh, construction program. Mm-hmm. You know, you you kind of you kind of uh, again cast that that light and lively structure of a numbered list on top of an industry wide uh, industry wide problem. So we've got three basic flavors, and then two uh, two of them. The strawberry, you know, I think of strawberry can go with uh, um, vanilla. Strawberry can go with chocolate. But the uh, the two that don't mix too well are the chocolate and the vanilla because they're both kind of so strong in their own way that it's better to just uh, serve them up separately. So it's very hard to combine a backgrounder and a problem solution. One reason is because they're aimed at people at different parts of the funnel, right? So how can you write one document that appeals to people at uh, to, to pull them into the funnel and another that works best for people at the very uh, bottom of the funnel. That's that's a big challenge. And trying to combine all three into one big mashup, I, I've had clients that try to do that. That's really tough. I mean, that's Neapolitan ice cream is a very popular ice cream flavor, but I'm, I'm uh, afraid this is where that metaphor kind of breaks down and, and you just can't combine all three. How can you write something that is light and lively about a serious problem and about uh, the ins and outs of a product that appeals to people at the top the bottom and the middle of the sales funnel. You know, that's... <laughs> it's too much, too much. But yeah, uh, but uh, you yeah. know why I love this approach? Because it has really narrowed it down. I, you know, I, here's another way, you know, in, when I, in the first podcast we did, I talked about how I was stalking you for years and, you know, I just admitted that to you and I was reading everything you were putting out there on white papers because you were one of the few guys who was actually publishing any information at the time. Uh, one of the things I remember downloading from you was that... Um, the, the the ten types of white paper. I want to say it was ten, and I remember I, I had I had it laminated and everything. So when I talked to prospects wow. and clients, you know we we could. But I I remember having a hard time with it, and the reason I laminated it is because it wasn't something you could memorize. Yeah, it was, it was very. Yeah. There was a lot of overlap. It was complicated. I love having three. I can see the distinction. I can see that there could be some overlap in some cases, but for the most part, mm-hmm. these are very distinct types uh, or flavors of white papers and and I, I can see now if I'm talking to a client and they're explain don't know exactly which kind they want they just tell me what they want to accomplish I can see how this would be a very useful tool to determine okay Mr. Client here's where I think you need and here's why yeah yeah well I'm, I'm glad you said that and I uh I went through the same path myself, you know, where uh, I'd be on the phone with someone and they'd be they'd be saying they they want to generate leads, and then I'd be saying, well, you know, there's three three or four types of white papers that are good for generating leads. Now I say there's one, you know, you want to generate leads, hands down, it's the problem solution. And as I explain it, um, I, I hear people I hear people going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear these marketing executives uh, saying, yeah, you know, yeah, that's right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that uh, there there there's a newer report that people could get called that I call my ice cream report. So that's free on my website. Uh, Where that white that? paper guy. It's on my website, that white paper guy um, on the homepage. Uh, I've taken, I used to be on every page, but I've put my book up for now for there, but you can get it from the homepage and it's, um, 
it's uh, basically about a 15-page report that goes into uh, these ideas. And then I expanded them in my book into like over 100 pages, you know, talking about these different flavors and when to use them and the ins and outs, what to include in each one, what to leave out of each one, how long to make them, the main sections, the kind of typical sections to put in. So I really went to went to town with that idea and because I think it is useful. I, I've used it myself for several years and I, I, I just hear people agreeing with me and saying, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then when we, it, it helps clarify a project because I, I have had projects where people are trying to do too much. And, and when we get kind of bogged down, I think about it and I think, oh yeah, they're trying to talk about a product and talk about an industry uh, wide problem at the same time. And why not just split it out and have two white papers? Mm-hmm. No, that's great. So, and I'll, I'll have that in the show notes as well for everybody who's listening and they're not in front of the computer right now. I'll have a link to your homepage where they can uh, they can download that report. I, I've I've read great. it. I got it. It's it's excellent. It does do a good, very good job of of uh, explaining these. And you know, just maybe real quick, uh, Gordon, can you give me a general idea of length for e- typical length for each of these three types? Okay. What do you, what do okay. you see? Well, the um. The backgrounder is usually aimed at a more technical audience, or it could be aimed at a, a business audience, but they're people that are deep in the funnel, right? So they can tolerate, as long as it's useful, helpful advice, it's helping them evaluate your product, they can tolerate a little bit longer. So we tend to say the typical white paper is six to eight pages of of core content. A, uh, a backgrounder is generally six pages, to eight pages, could be a little bit more, could be 10 pages, could be 12 pages. You won't lose people as long as you're describing, you know, uh, in detail, factually, the uh, features and benefits of a product. If you start putting in hot air, you could lose people. So they, they tend to have a bit of an introduction, the features and the benefits of each feature, and then a conclusion that wraps it all up. And uh, they, they can be they can be really longer than the other flavors. The, uh, the numbered list is the shortest because really, um, Often, uh, often uh, on a substantial one, I like to break the page at the bottom of of each point, so you can just flip through the pages or scroll through the pages. But uh, say you're doing five things that you must know about uh, before you buy a document management system, um, and you give each one a page. Okay, there's five pages. You probably need a tiny introduction, and you may need a, a little conclusion. Um, but even that's optional in a in a uh, numbered list. You can jump right in without any front matter, without much back matter. So they those tend to be a little bit shorter depending uh, on how many points you have. I wouldn't recommend going more than nine points in a numbered list. I, I wouldn't recommend doing ten because really, um, really David Letterman owns the top ten list. You know, and if you <laughs> if you say ten things you must know. Uh, uh, I got to believe everybody starts getting distracted and think about David Letterman, you know, and so, uh, and if you go more than 10, it starts to sound like too much work. You know, if you're like uh, 35 things you must know about document, oh my God, 35 things, come on, give me a break. So <laughs> if if you're, if you're that high, you should probably break it up into a few different documents, you know, and try and make it a little more granular, but I'd say you can go up to nine. My favorite really is, uh, is five or seven, you know, and here's an interesting little psychological thing. Some people say that, a uh, um, an odd number is more convincing than a, an even number. It's an even number sounds too pat sometimes. Maybe that's another problem with the top ten. You know, but I don't know if that's true. Seven things, eight things. If they're all if they're all strong points, you know, leave them in. But um, I tend to just uh, when I'm doing a, a numbered list, just just brainstorm and come up with as many as I possibly got, and then start dropping the weak ones and bring it down to uh, seven or eight. You know. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. Yeah. 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 I, I like the odd numbers, and and I I agree with you. It's uh, anything less than ten. Otherwise, it does sound like too much work. And ten sounds too perfect. It seems contrived. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're obviously stretching. Just well, you know why else? Because people know David Letterman stretches. Like he may have eight good ones, and then he stretches and he puts <laughs> in two or three clunkers. You know, just to just to hit the ten. So they yeah. probably suspect you've done that too. Um, the problem solution. The classic uh, for a problem solution is. Uh, six to eight pages, but it can be a little bit longer because there's some optional uh, items you can put in there. You can encompass a case study in a white paper. Sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between a case study and one of these problem solution uh, white papers? And I'll say, well, you can include, one rule of thumb is you can include a case study in a, in a white paper, but you can't include a white paper in a case study. Um, a case study is about this the uh, individual experience of one customer, whereas a white paper, a problem solution white paper is about a, a problem experienced by a whole industry. And you may sprinkle in some case studies as examples of companies that have solved that problem, but um, you can't do the opposite thing in a, in a case study. You can't, uh, you can't encompass a whole white paper inside a case study. So um, they tend to be six or eight pages of core content for a problem solution and then some front and back matter. So I, w one, one tip I would say is always include um, an executive summary and a set of conclusions in a problem solution. And there's a definite reason for that. It's because uh, um, people at the top of the funnel are, uh, are you know, looking for useful information and they've probably they've probably downloaded more than just your white paper or they're probably looking at the uh, landing page for more than just your white paper you want to give them a, a bit of an abstract a bit of an overview of what's in it and how it's going to help them understand an issue before you expect them to download the whole thing and read the whole thing so what i always say is if you can get an executive to read one page you're further ahead than if they uh, didn't read anything at all you know if you can sum up your white paper in one page and give them the basic idea some uh pe some people are very smart you know and they can read the one page and get it you mm -hmm. know especially if they're sort of informed about uh, about that issue if you're or if you're not the first white paper they've read about it so um always include an executive summary no more than a page hopefully half a page but it this should be like a a pricey or a very very condensed version of everything else that's in the white paper and then at the end include your conclusions that that again talk about everything in the white paper and uh tell them tell your ideal prospect what you would like them to do next how uh, what the next step is and uh, that maps onto the classic communication advice uh, tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you told them I like that okay so let's let's do this Gordon because I this is a really really good summary of what you can expect out there uh, in terms of white paper varieties but let's not get into the nitty-gritty into what you can expect when you do land one of these how do you approach these projects and i know there's a lot to this but if maybe you can give us a, a high level overview of how you manage and how you plan for these projects so that uh, you can get them done efficiently and you can produce a high quality product for the client sure sure i i, I love talking about that because i i found that this is where um this is where, uh, you know, that thing about uh, making an assumption, uh, what it does, you know, uh, if you make an assumption, it uh, makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to assume that, um, that companies had a publishing process, 
right? That they'd done this before, that they knew uh, how to do it, that they knew step by step. And I, I quickly realized that sometimes even the largest companies, well, you may be working with somebody in a large, large company who's never had to handle a project quite this big and quite this challenging before. These aren't these aren't like writing a press release. You know, these aren't even like writing a case study that's two pages. These things are eight to ten to twelve pages of with research and and footnotes and lots of interviews with the uh, with uh, uh, experts inside the company, maybe even outside the company. Um, they're they're big ambitious projects, and so um, the ones that fall apart are sadly um, most often because there isn't an effective process for handling such a big uh, such a big project. So what I what I created was a, a 12 step uh, process which uh, we're not going to go into all 12 steps, but I can certainly tell the three main phases and uh, some tips about each of those. The, the three main phases of a, of a white paper are planning and production is the second and then the last is uh, promotions and um, the Production involves, you know, the research, the writing, the graphics, the design. That's kind of the fun, creative part. And what I was finding was that some clients would get too preoccupied with the production. They might be looking over my shoulder. They might be offering all kinds of suggestions for uh, for graphics or design. Just really getting their getting their fingers in, um, and sometimes having too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, on the production side. When the the initial planning and the ultimate promotions had been uh, sadly neglected. And these are the phases when the marketing team can really, really, really make a big difference. If you draw on the right people to do the plan, then the uh, the, the research and writing um, are much more straightforward, much less chance of stepping on any uh, pitfalls. And uh, then again, no matter how good the white paper turns out, if it's not promoted properly, it's not going to uh, do as good of a job. So the uh, what I try to do as a as a writer is to focus the uh, client's marketing team on uh, helping me uh, drop a good plan at the start, and then uh, really uh, focusing on how they're going to uh, promote this to make sure that every possible person who should uh, know about it hears about it. So uh, within the planning. There's some key things that really should be outlined at the start of any uh, white paper, and and here's a here's a tip, here's a process tip that I uh, that I've come to, which is to do an initial uh, what I what I call a kickoff conference call, and uh, where you know you've you've usually got I've usually got one marketing person who's my key client some kind of marketing director, maybe even the VP of marketing or um, somebody in charge of their content or whatever. They're my key contact, but they're going to have reviewers, right? They're going to have, the bigger the company, the more reviewers. And the extreme case I've had has been Google, uh, where I actually worked in Google Docs. And then uh, it's really, really easy to invite other people to look at a Google Doc. So we would, we had like 20 reviewers on one white paper. That That is just gets it to be a mishmash because wow. yeah, at that level... You start to have people pushing and pulling and not even knowing what the point of the uh, of the white paper is or really what a white paper is supposed to do. So you start having people uh, pushing and pulling about the fundamental definition of, of uh, you know, are you doing a, a background or are you doing a problem solution? You know, so that's too many. I'd say two or three or four is pretty manageable, but often there often there'll be six to eight reviewers, you know, and so um what I like to do is have a phone call at the start where I uh, ask the client to 
pull together all the people that are going to be uh, reviewing the, uh, the, my drafts and we get them on the phone for a quick phone call. And what we do is we make sure everybody's on the same page about the purpose of the white paper, the audience of the, of the, for the white paper. At that point, we talk about which flavor of white paper we're going to do. Um, they point me to some suggested, uh, you know, uh, resources, some uh, terms to, to uh, uh, search for or some things, some uh, company resources that they've got. Uh, the people in the company I should be, um, I should be interviewing. We talk about the uh, schedule. We talk about who's going to do the design and the graphics. And so at, at the end of that phone call, everybody who is going to review the white paper is basically on the same page and uh, knows the scope, the purpose, the audience, and, and what's more or less going to be in it. If you skip that step, what happens is the, uh, the, uh, what you're risking what I call the uh, no CM reviewer, which is somebody late in the process who's never been involved, who doesn't know the, uh, the point of the project, can come in and review it. And if they're sitting high in the, on the uh, food chain in the company, they can really throw their weight around and say, no, 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 you're doing everything wrong. This should talk about this. This should go into that. Why are you talking about that? Uh, you know, they can really um, uh, distort the uh, process far too late. And, uh, and, and really, it's a drag for everybody because what that means is scrap and rework and something that, uh, you know, five people already uh, agreed was going to do the, the job for the, the purpose they thought somebody uh, else in the food chain is saying, no, 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 go back to square one. And that can involve, you know, throwing out five or 10 pages of, of white paper draft with footnotes and, uh, and everything. And that is really, really painful for everybody, including the client, because they look bad, they feel bad. Um, sometimes uh, I have to renegotiate the fee in a case like that. That's really awkward. Mm -hmm. So uh, what you want to do is get, get all the people that are involved in it on the phone call at the start for, it can be half an hour. It can be 20 minutes. At least you talk about the purpose, the audience, and um, basically the approach. So is it going to talk about the product more or is it going to talk more about an industry-wide problem? That's a simple way to explain that vanilla versus chocolate, right? Mm -hmm. Or do you want something light and lively that's just going to be five things, six things, seven things? They can, they can pretty well get a feeling for that. But the thing that you can do on that phone call, the thing you can achieve is if there's any difference of opinion between these people, you can kind of pull that out, you can kind of surface that. And then uh, one person might be saying, oh, you know, nobody reads anymore. I think we should do the seven uh, things that da, 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 da. And if everybody else in the phone call is saying, no, 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 that's too, that's too light. You know, we want to do something really definitive. It's going to stand for two years. You know, it's, it really talks about our whole company mission. We don't, we don't want one of these five things, six things, you know, they can have their, de their debate right in front of you and you can kind of resolve that you know, then and there. So instead of having to go back and scrap and rework and rethink later on, you do that up front. So that, that was a, that was a lesson I learned from painful experience. And I think it's, it's really one of the most important things that, uh, that you can do to organize a, a white paper. So that's, that's do a proper plan at the start with everybody involved. And Gordon, uh, real quick, and you may be talking about this in the production side of, of the uh, process, but are you a believer in submitting an outline for approval? Oh, yeah, I always do that. In fact, I call it an executive summary. So generally after that first phone call, I'll come up with some notes and uh, 
the notes might be as simple as an email that says, well, it seems like we all agree that we're going to do a, a problem solution white paper aimed at, and, and I, su I sum up the audience in a sentence or two, you know, that's using this kind of approach. So it could be a very short email, or sometimes it may involve uh, a bit more, and I might write a, a one-page uh, summary of our of our of the notes on that first call. Um, and if there's any unresolved controversies, I'll highlight them and say, you know, one thing we still haven't figured out is da 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 da. We really should uh, we really should decide that before I get too far in the process. You know, just try to do that tactfully, but uh, but firmly at the start, and then. Um, okay, so you so instead of an outline, you actually summarize beyond an outline all the all yeah, the that, key points, and and you send yeah, it that, shortly after that initial conversation. Yeah, that well, I've, so far I was just talking about a a, um, a a small deliverable of the note the notes on our kickoff call, but then I'll generally um, get into doing some research, and my next deliverable is a uh, is an executive summary or an outline, and this is a uh, this is another big big tip because what uh, what some writers do is just jump in and start writing, you know, and it's the it's you know the uh, the writer's equivalent of the software programmer who just jumps in and start coding, you know, and uh, anybody in those businesses knows that's a recipe for disaster. Cause again, you can go off in false uh, starts, uh, go off in long tangents that uh, have to be scrapped later, uh, architect the whole document uh, wrong. So it's what I'll do is do is do some research, do, uh, do enough research that I feel like I'm on top of the, uh, of the topic and then write a one page, um, executive summary that is sort of like a condensed version of the final white paper. So, you know, that takes work. That's kind of the hard part of the job. But I like to do that at the start and write one sentence that I can later expand to two or three paragraphs rather than write the two or three paragraphs and have to throw them out. You know, and, and, and the other good uh, um, benefit of that is that just about anybody can read a page. You know, so all of these reviewers, that circulates around to ideally all of these reviewers, and they all take their time and their, and their busy schedules to read it. They can even read it on an airplane, you know, or read it in a hotel room. It's only a page. And then they basically say, yes, but, or looks good to me, or you know what, I think we should leave out this whole thing. Don't go into that. Uh, instead, go into this. You know, we get their feedback, and between uh, my client and I, we uh, we resolve that. And uh, and off. sometimes I'll send a second executive summary with those comments incorporated. But the great thing is I'm only working on a one-pager. I'm not working on a 10-pager and having to throw up pages of it, you know. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, that's painful. Um, that's painful. And I, I like that approach. And, I, I mean, I'm, we're not going to get into a lot of detail here with, with these phases, but I, I, I am curious about one little detail here, which is do you give them uh, a date to expect that first deliverable by, or do you just you send it to them once you're done with that initial kind of uh, uh, high-level research and so forth? Gee, <laughs> gee, Ed, you know, because uh, <laughs> I don't like to give a, I don't like to give myself a deadline because I want that flexibility because now it becomes kind of its own project, you know. Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved you said that because I don't think I'm any role model for, um, I don't think I'm any role model for uh, setting and hitting deadlines in terms of white papers. These are complex projects, you know, and there's a certain amount of uncertainty. So if somebody says, "Well, go research this." You know, I may I may find, you know, two or three sources in the first five minutes that are perfect, you know, that are everything I need. Or I might take I might take two days to research depending on the topic. And that's that's kind of hard to uh, that's kind of hard to predict. And so the more research that I do, the longer it takes to sort of let that 
let that uh, sort of percolate or, or uh, incubate and uh, get the the um, fundamental ideas out of it. So I usually work within a week, you know, or within a part of the month where I'll say, well, by mid-April, I'll have you the executive summary, you know, and uh, um, we've talked about initially in, in, in my process during the planning, we've talked about uh, the time, the time scale. And my, I got to say, my favorite client is one that says, well, you know, we need that sometime in Q2. And I'm like, oh, right, sometime in Q2. That's my kind of deadline. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's more challenging if they say we got a trade show coming up on April 17th and we absolutely have to have this thing out, you know. But if they do, then I'll just push it and get it, get it done to their, uh, to their deadline. But um, more often than not, these are, these are so uh, important to a company that they're willing to let, let the time uh, take the time. And if they ask me how long does it take, I say at least four weeks, at least four weeks, more often six by the time that uh, your reviewers take a few days to uh, turn things around, you know? Yeah. Okay. Now that that's good to know, and and uh, because I I actually do quite a bit of the the research and the reading and thinking before I even produce that initial outline. Yeah. Yes. And yes, uh, I got yes. my own name for it. I call it a storyboard because it's oh, it's yeah. a very informal. Uh, it's not a bulleted outline as much as it is kind of talking through the story. You know, mm-hmm. we're in, and um in a very conversational tone, and it just I think better that way, and I think most people can absorb that better. So uh, I will do that, but it's usually I would say about um, two thirds of the way into the project, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. once I have that and I have approval, the rest of it is actually pretty easy. And now I'm just yes. writing. Yes, yes. Well, I'm I'm with you. After that, it's sort of like filling in the blanks, right? Exactly. I can expand on each of those, uh, like you said, each of those sentences very easily. But I, so in other words, a lot of people I used to think, oh well, an outline I should I should have that to them in you know a couple of days. Well. Mm-hmm. No, I think the amount of work it's required to just to produce that one pager is is quite a bit. So I like to build myself, and I'll, I'll give them an idea, but I won't give myself or give them a deadline for that. But I'll give them a general idea, um, and then I'll say, "Listen, but I'm going to need that back within a few days." Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, because then yeah. I actually give. I, I like to set a deadline for the white paper. And um, so in order to maintain that, I let them know, look, I'm going to need that back, you know, within so many days. And, and that, yeah. that, that works yeah. okay for me, I mean, for the most part. But, you know, I should probably follow your advice and give myself more time. I usually give myself two or three weeks. <laughs> I don't wait paper now listening to you. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm killing myself here. Well, it depends, right? How um, a uh, it depends on how ambitious each one is, right? So I say, uh, say a numbered list. About a topic that you are, that you know well, um, that can be a couple of days, honestly. You know, uh, and and go to Gartner or somebody and find out their latest spiel and and just bang it out. But I I write uh, I write white papers for um, um, some technology companies where I know their I know their space so well that uh, there's very little learning curve and th- those ones go quite smoothly. You know, but uh, the ones that take more research i mean if i if i try to go into say like writing about some medical device uh or writing about uh insurance or i don't even write about finance anymore because i'm just i'm just hopeless at that i don't know the terms you know i don't know uh the present value future whatever you call it i don't know how to do that stuff i can't do it in my head i can't even do it in excel i just don't have the math for that so there's another tip is to just kind of get your sweet spot and stay in it um to make your money and then if you 
want to change a pace, go outside your sweet spot, but count that that's going to take you uh, longer, you know, and uh, I'm, I am, I am relieved to hear that uh, you don't peg yourself down to a specific day because that, that's very hard with these things. They, well, I, so big. I, I shouldn't. So big. Well, to be specific, I do peg myself for a specific date for the uh, for the first draft. Um, okay, but okay. not for the yeah. outline. Yeah. And many times I'll make the out the the final deadline based on when they get the outline back to me. Uh, I've learned that you know that can work well for when there's going to be a lot of people involved. Yeah, because yeah, if, if yeah. I say, let's say it's in three weeks, I give them the outline in two weeks. A week is just not going to be enough. That's assuming yeah. they give me the uh, the revisions back right away or their yeah. comments on the yeah. outline. So that's yeah. just not going to cut it, you know. Yeah, um, so I'd I need... say four weeks is four weeks is the minimum I found. You know that it, it's possible. I mean, I, I think one of the earliest ones I did, uh, we did in two weeks, and uh, that's that's when I was a marketing executive, and we were having that. W- that was like a I don't know if you call it death march or what you call it, but uh, we were having meetings every single day of the of the uh, management team and the writer and the and the uh, designer, you know, and we every day, okay, we got a new draft. The writer would go home after that meeting and make a new draft, you know, expand it a bit or, or redirect it a bit, and and you know, I I would never want to do another one like that. That's just that two weeks. Now, much, two weeks. That's you know. to to final production and everything. Yeah, from the start, we had a trade show coming up in two weeks, right? And I was like, gee, you know, we should have a white paper. You think we can do a white paper? That's in the early days. I had no clue. I had nobody telling me they take four weeks or, or whatever. I thought, you know, I guess we can do one in a couple of weeks. And wow, that was intense. Yeah. Well, when I say two or three weeks, that's for my first draft, by the way. I, yeah. I usually give yeah, myself well, this was two or three weeks. The, the yeah, not not then, the final product. I mean, that's, uh, I know on the client side, that's going to take, you know, a couple of weeks easy. Yeah, yeah. The reviews and the design take another, uh, you know, a couple of weeks usually, and and some clients don't want to hear that. They want to hear that they can get one, uh, they can get one next week. But if if somebody wants a white paper next week, I say sorry, I no can do. You know, yeah. and, and good good luck, good luck <laughs> finding somebody. You know. So that kind of gets us into the production area. We talked about planning production. You know, any any tips or suggestions there? You know, once you get down, you've gotten, let's say, you've gotten uh, feedback on your executive summary. Uh, you ready to go? You know, how do you how do you typically handle that process? The writing process? Yeah, yeah, the production process in terms of the the well, research and the writing and. If you've, okay, at um, this point, you've done quite a bit of your research, of course. Yeah, that's how you yeah, get I, yeah, yeah. I find it. Um, I've I've probably done all my research by that point, you know, or I or at least I know where I'm going to look next to find the exact uh, proof point that I'm going to use for uh, for a footnote. But uh, um, one thing I try to do, uh, sort of in parallel, is get a get a graphic going. I I really like uh, to have one good um, information graphic or uh, concept graphic in each white paper that kind of. Uh, Kind of like an infographic, kind of sums up the whole idea in one picture, and that that can be really powerful. A lot of white papers have no no uh, illustrations, and I think they're they're poorer for it. You know, um, not all writers can think visually, and and I'm very challenged sometimes in, in that way. But if if I I often start I often will talk with my client. I say, you know, I'm thinking about uh, uh, this as a as a as a flow diagram with sort of three big sections. And first we have this, and then we have that, and then we have the other. You ever seen anything like that? You ever done a PowerPoint like that? And sometimes I'll look out and they'll say, Oh yeah, we got a PowerPoint just like that. You know, I'll send it to you. And uh, 
Um, that's another thing that you really got to do is shake the tree at your client and, uh, and uh, root out as much information from them as you possibly can. PowerPoints are great. Uh, uh, reports are uh, uh, things that uh, that a product manager has put together about the uh, roadmap of a product is is great. Uh, often I'll look at competitors' uh, websites, download their white papers, and see uh, see where they uh, fall down. And if uh, if all the competitors have done really poor uh, jobs of white papers, that just gives us an incredible opening to do a to do a powerful one that knocks them uh, knocks them out. So, but but I think that. Um, there's two approaches, you know, to this executive summary, and and you and I both use the same uh, one, which is write the executive summary first and then expand it, and that makes the writing process really uh, pleasant and really not not painful at all, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, there's another way to do it, which is to write the long draft first and then boil it down to the executive summary. So that is uh, that is possible to do, but then you lose the whole benefit that we were talking about of presenting a short deliverable first for uh, for approval and, and redirection. You know, so I don't I don't recommend that. I recommend expanding the executive summary. So th so at that point, you've already done the bulk of the work. So uh, you, it's all downhill from that point. Uh, the writing is not tough. You know, I remember in Mike Stelzner's. Uh, survey that he did a few years ago, he was asking people, what's the hardest part of a white paper? Everybody was saying, uh, the hardest part is writing the first page. Well, you know, we're talking about writing a one page executive summary. Yes, that's the hardest part. But I don't consider that the first page of the white paper. I consider that like a, an overview or an outline or, you know, uh, the encapsulated version of the whole thing. When I when I come to write, that's a it's a snap because mm -hmm. all I'm doing is taking every point in there and expanding it to a paragraph or two, and then maybe filling in a few more proof points. That that gets to be really really fun. It is. It's like a game. It's a puzzle at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so all right, let's get into um, you you submitted your first draft and now it's out and it's getting reviewed. A couple of things that tend to happen, which is you know dealing with us. Uh, changes in scope or what I call edit happy reviewers mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know to, tell me a little bit about how you handle those situations because it's very well, common I think the, yeah I think the uh, I think that's why I do my kickoff at the start because the changes of scope really shouldn't be happening you know like if it's been planned properly and if you've got everybody who's going to look at the final deliverable uh, on board at the start they're not going to come back late in the process and say, oh, we should have done it this way. Oh, we should have covered that. Oh, we forgot this. We left out that whole thing. You know, like adding in a, uh, another proof point or something is fine. Or if somebody says, uh, oh, I just saw this article. It's perfect for us. We should quote from that. Well, that's fine. That's not a change of scope. But a, a change of scope is like, you know, let's not talk about this whole big thing that you've spent a page on. You know, or uh, let's go into this other thing, which is going to take two or three pages and more research. That's a that's a change of scope. And uh, I guess I guess I'm fortunate I haven't had one of those for a while. You know, um, probably because I've been really insisting on this uh, on this planning process. But if 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 that hits you uh, from a high enough person in the company, um, you may have to do it, and uh, you may have to ask for more money. And uh, um, it's just uh, bad news all around when that happens. So the, 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 
instead of trying to figure out how to deal with it when it happens, it's better to avoid the possibility or minimize the possibility that it that it can happen. You know, and, and I'll get uh, I'll get the president of a company or the CEO of a company on that in on that initial phone call. That's fine. You know, and we say, listen, you just come for the first ten minutes. Um, and if everybody uh, is of one mind, then you can go off and do your next thing. You know, if they're going to review it and th they may want to throw their weight around uh, later, um, it's good to get them involved early on. But you know, here, here's a way to here's a way to avoid that is you you talk to your client about the personalities at the company. You mm -hmm. know, and uh, you say, well, who's who's likely to review this? What kind of reviewer are they? What do they usually say about things like this? And they'll tell you. I mean, they'll sometimes they'll say, well, you know, the president's a pretty much of a hands-off guy. If we're happy, he's happy. Or they may say, no, 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 this one vice president, oh, man, he really wants to put his stamp on everything. Uh, we got to watch out for him. Well, then you know, you know, you got to get that guy involved uh, early and keep him involved early and not go to the next step uh, before he's given it his blessing. And see, because then you know what you can do is you can, you can go back um, tactfully. If he's coming in, the guy who's who's given a blessing to look at all the deliverables he's had, right? He's had his initial chance to be on the phone call. He's had his uh, his look at the notes from the phone call. He's had his look at your first executive summary, and if he's if he's uh, asked for any changes on that, he's had his look at your second executive summary. So that's already four shots he's had, um, and then you show him a first draft. Okay, that's his fifth shot at this content. So. Hopefully by then he's told you what he thinks, you know, and if he hasn't, if he hasn't, you can kind of try to uh, shame him or appeal to uh, a reason and say, well, you know, it's not what you said last time or it seemed to be okay up to now. What's what's different now? How come you think we should go into this? And, you know, um, best case, you can you can get yourself another project. You can say, well, you know, that sounds like a, a whole a second white paper. So why don't we table that and uh, and talk about that as a, as a second white paper, a follow-up white paper or a complimentary white paper after I finish the first one. Sometimes that works, you know, so you parlay that uh, scope change into a, a whole other project. That's a great idea. And you're right. I've found the same thing, Gordon, is if you do a really good job with that planning meeting, that kickoff meeting, uh, and you get the right people involved, and you're you know insistent on it, then um, you rarely run into these problems. It's been years for me since I've run into something pretty serious like this. And um, as I look back, it was because I didn't get the the founder and CEO involved, and he was going to be yeah. the ultimate uh, decision maker. And you know he had this view, uh, and I wasn't dealing directly with him. He had this view of what he wanted to communicate that wasn't communicated down the line to me. So yeah. it became yeah. it became an issue, but um, you're right. This is this is really good advice, and you know, um, I, I guess I have kind of a general question for you to kind of cap this off, which is, um, you know, somebody listening, they're thinking, wow, you know, I really like this idea of white papers. It seems like it would be right up my alley, uh, but I, I have you know no experience doing this. I'd love to get started. I mean, wh where do you get started? What's a good starting point if, if you're wanting to, to go down this path? You mean when you've never written a white paper? Never before? written a white paper, and you you know you just want to start somewhere. I mean, what would be? Of course, you know. I, well, I'll tell you what the first one's going to be because this is you got to get your book, <laughs> guys. Get his <laughs> book seriously. No, and I mean that. It, it's one thing that I was missing when I was starting out was a good reference manual. So I had little to go by, and it made the process very frustrating, nerve wracking, and I was not very self confident. So I would I would add that because I you, you may not want to say it, Gordon, but I really do believe you know get get his book. Uh, that will give you the self-confidence in the guy that you'll need. But, you know, once once you have that, you know, what would you say, just generally speaking? 
Well, there's a there's another uh, resource you can use. I have a um, I have a LinkedIn group called uh, Get More from Your White Papers. So anybody is welcome to join that group and then pose any question they under the sun about white papers. So there's something like 200 members as, as at this point, and we get some lively discussions on there. So if you, if you if you come up against a project and you're not really sure which way to go or what uh, what to do, come to that group and post that, and you'll get some you'll get some good advice. Um, I would say it, try to start with a numbered list. You know, your first few white papers, try to do numbered lists because they are really fun and really uh, more uh, straightforward. And I'll, I'll tell you one reason why, which is kind of, um, I've mentioned how they have, they wear their skeleton on the outside. One of the advantages of that is they're kind of a mosaic. You don't have to develop a... Uh, a uh, linear narrative going from point A to point B to point C in a numbered list. You can just throw on another point. Oh yeah, what about this? Oh yeah, what about this? Oh yeah, point six. Oh yeah, point seven. Um, you want to arrange the points in some kind of some kind of order that 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 makes some kind of sense as people are digesting them. But really, they're they're much more straightforward than a problem solution to write because the problem solution you have to sum up a whole industry problem, everything that's been done to try to solve it, why your your vendor's solution is better, um, what to do next for the uh, call to action. That's probably uh, twice as hard as a uh, a numbered list where it's just like uh, if if you're trying to just uh, cast some mud on. And a, uh, another vendor's way of uh, solving a problem, uh, you know, really, you, you, you're just like a kid throwing uh, mud balls in the schoolyard. You know, oh yeah, what about this? Oh yeah, what about that? What about this? What about that? What about this other thing? You can just gather a bunch of critiques of that uh, of that of the other vendor's approach and uh, and uh, mash them all up into a, into a list. The list is its own structure. There doesn't have to be much logic between one point and the next. You know what I mean? Absolutely, I like that approach a lot. You're right. That's that's that would I feel a lot more comfortable doing that than I would a problem solution. And 80 percent of what I do today is problem solution, mm-hmm. but um, and that's what I got started too. It, it was very very challenging. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say I'd say you know this is a really good question because I haven't thought of this before. But I I, I would say try to start on uh, numbered lists and then try to do some backgrounders because backgrounders. The research load isn't as heavy again. It's pretty well all internal. You'll be talking to the people that designed the product or the people that sell the product um, or the people, the product manager. Um, these are people that are that know the ins and outs of, uh, of this offering really well. And your job is basically just get them talking about the benefits, help them remember back to why the product was designed in the first place and give their best argument that you can kind of capture and repackage and give, give uh out to um, people that are looking for that kind of detail. So a, a background is probably the uh, intermediate uh, one to write, and then the problem solutions are the toughest ones to write. So if you can arrange it at all, so to kind of get your feet wet with numbered lists and then move on to the backgrounders, and then and then after you've done, you know, four to six to eight of the other flavors, uh, then, uh, then start offering to do the problem solutions. And that's probably a, a really manageable way to get going, you know? That's great advice. So, guys, his book, White Papers for Dummies, available wherever books are sold, Amazon.com. You can grab it online. I highly recommend it. And, Gordon, your website, thatwhitepaperguy.com, correct? Yeah, yeah, thatwhitepaperguy.com. There's a, you can click on articles there and see. Uh, I think I have 80 articles about um, 
different aspects of writing white papers, uh, including some very introductory ones, and they'll they'll give you a taste uh, of uh, my uh, approach before you buy my book if you want to get a, a, a preview, you know. Gordon, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate the information, uh, and it's really a, a, quite an honor to speak to you today so many years later after I stalked you for so long for information uh, to, to be able to, to talk with you on, on this topic. So thanks for coming on board. Oh, thanks, Ed. It's been really fun and I learned a few things myself. Wow. I hope you got a lot out of that interview. I know I did. It was a treat talking to Gordon for the last couple of sessions. A few quick announcements before we wrap it up. We're about to open up enrollment to our most popular program, Warm Email Prospecting. This will be the last time we offer this program for at least another year. So if you're looking for a faster and easier way to land quality clients, make sure to check it out. And you can learn more at warmemailprospecting.com. Enrollment is only going to be open for a few days. This is very time sensitive. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be eternally grateful if you shared it with friends and colleagues. And you'll find several sharing buttons right on the episode page. We'll make this as easy as possible to share. The episode page is b2blauncher.com forward slash episode three, the number three which is where you'll also find the show notes for this episode and a bunch of links with additional resources on white paper writing. Also, I'd be very grateful to you if you could give us a quick rating or review on iTunes. Uh, The easiest way to do that is just to go to b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. You'll have to log into your iTunes account once you're on that page, but going to iTunes from that page is the easiest way to do this because it takes you right to the uh, the show itself in iTunes. And the reason I ask for ratings and reviews is that this is the way the show gets found in iTunes. Uh, it, they play a big role in the search algorithm in iTunes, and this is the best way to ensure that other writers who need this information are able to find it. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.